Today is August 2nd, 2015. Uh, the title of today's sermon is Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Um, last week we were able to speak uh, together about Enough is Enough. We kind of uh, processed through that. Uh, Pastor Matt gave a great word on Wednesday night. Uh, I believe the title of it was Taking Possession. Is that correct, Pastor Matt? Uh, Taking Possession. I always try to, when I get here, I'm always trying to think of what has God spoken to us over the last few weeks. What is He saying to us today? Um, because inevitably, uh, we're not necessarily the kind of church that has a long set of series. We don't determine out the next three months of what we're going to speak. I know some people do that. That's not our flow. We're trying to hear from God for what we need, kind of that manna for today. Um, it's amazing, though, is we do these things individually. Each, each sermon is usually done kind of in an individual fashion. But it's amazing when you look back and see the common thread, the one singular voice as if it were a story that was unfolding using different people speaking, different words of prophecy that come forth, different worship flow uh, that, that come forth um, as a result of that. And I have to tell you, sometimes uh, I love getting prepared for a message and sometimes I don't. Because the times that I don't, it's because I'm having to live something to be able to share something with you. So last week we talked on enough is enough, and I even used the silly example of a toothpaste tube. You know, whichever way you do it when you first get married, there's the argument over grabbing it in the middle. But the idea there was that you, God is trying to empty us of ourselves. Well, so guess what this week was? This week was a great week of emptying, being emptied of myself. You know, you're like, um, it'd be a whole lot easier to preach if you didn't actually have to live these things that, that we're having to do. Uh, so the title of today's sermon is Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Yeah. So, uh, that means that things are absolutely fantastic. Amen? Right? I guess it depends on how you define that, but um, I want us to be very clear on something. We're, we're going to talk about this today. I hope um, that the Lord will give me grace to be able to expound upon something that I feel like will bless you. Um, Pastor Matt and I and, and have spent a lot of time in hospitals this week. Um, got to spend some time with Spencer. And Caitlin Riley was in the hospital on Friday night, right? Um, Pastor Eric's niece, I guess. No, I don't know. What it, what it, Pastor Eric's family has someone in the hospital. Um, there are many of you that we've been praying for. Eliana, spent a lot of time praying for her this week. Miss Susan is praying for you this week. I know that there are others. Uh, um, we, have a, we have a lot of folks. Uh, my heart's been burdened for Dee Dee. Um, some of our elders, for those of you who don't know, some of our elders, our elders, Steve and his wife, Dee Dee. Uh, Dee Dee's been fighting cancer for a long time. And this week has been a very, very difficult week for them. Um, they are real, real men and women of God because when you go visit them in the hospital, which is where we visit them a lot this week, uh, laughing, cutting up, full of joy, witnessing to the nurses that walk in. Steve is always pulling out the car. Hey, this is our church. You need to come visit. Oh, I know why that this guy didn't finish our admit, uh, admit papers because we were supposed to talk to you and you're supposed to come to our church. I mean, this is, this is the normal progression of what's going on here. But at times we are caught between a rock and a hard place. Amen? This is for our good. I want today to be a word of encouragement to you that whatever rock and or hard place that you may happen to be between. Um, Dee Dee said this to us this week. She Somebody asked her how she was doing. I think, I think she said this to Cassidy last night. She said, I'm somewhere between O and K. I was like, 
I kind of like that. In other words, I'm going to be okay at some point. God has spoken to me and okay is coming. But right now, haven't really reached there. I can't put a period. I can't put an exclamation point on that. I'm somewhere in between where I started out and what God has promised me. I'm somewhere between the start of this thing and the finish of th this thing where I can get to see God's glory and it's made manifest and everyone is rejoicing. When cancer completely dies in Didi's body, when it is a miracle, uh, because God has spoken that to her, God has spoken that to this family that it will amaze even the doctors. She was reminded of that phrase this week. Even the doctors would be amazed. So you know what that means? That means that um, every time that they go in for another treatment, they are getting painfully documented. Every second, the doctors in Dallas will be talking to her, and they, they have a, an atomic clock on the wall, and they're talking to her, and then all of a sudden, at just a certain point, they stop in the middle sentence, and they administer something. And they take care of it in triplicate. And Dee Dee's take on it all is, well, I guess we'll have a lot of documentation for when God heals me. They texted us this morning, and can I tell you that it doesn't look... This morning was a very difficult morning for our friends. Middle of worship practice, we're all getting texts that says, hey, at least we know how to pray this morning. I believe that's the way that the text ended. Didi's having difficulties. Her lung cavities are filling up with fluid. She can't hardly breathe. <laughs> Steve, at least we know how to pray. Wow. What are you between today? What rock and a hard place are you between? What promise has God spoken to you that has yet to be fulfilled in your life? Let's turn to Exodus chapter 17. Let's see what the scripture has to say about some of this. Amen? As you're turning to Exodus 17, saying there when you are there, let me encourage you as a body of believers. Let's not get weary on our end in doing well, for in due season we'll reap a harvest if we faint not. Let me encourage you not to get weary in praying for Eliana. Let me encourage you not to get weary in praying for Suzanne. Let me encourage you not to get weary in praying for Riley. And if you don't know these stories... If, if you haven't been here, we will take some time and we'll tell you all of these are life and death situations. They are, um, we're standing against the very forces of the heavenly, <laughs> of, of the earthly realm, trying to bombard them with heavenly good. There is literally life and death hanging in the balance in a lot of these cases. Don't get weary. Don't let yourself grow faint in the process of this. We're going to stay. We're going to make this. We're going to stand with each other. And this passage of Scripture today is going to show us how we're going to do that. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Everybody say, no water. This is a necessity, yes? You can exist without a lot of things, not so much without water. So they quarreled with Moses. Everybody say quarreled. Hmm. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. <laughs> By the way, how exactly is Moses going to do this? <laughs> give us water to drink. 
make this sickness go away. Well, believe me, if I could, I would. All right? Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Remember we talked about last week in Romans 13 that how we handle the authorities in our life shows how we are responding to God Almighty. Moses is saying, why are you quarreling against me? Why are you putting the Lord to the test? He had that very clear understanding. Verse 3, but the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? <laughs> you guys are being a little bit melodramatic, aren't you? God just split, in, split a sea so that you walk through on dry ground. Moses, why did you do this? Um, you were getting oppressed and you cried out to God for a deliverer. And he sent one. Challenged every god that the Egyptians had through the ten plagues. Right? We know that. Each one of the plagues was directly attacking one of the Egyptian gods that they had. One of their main gods. They were taken, God took them down one by one by one. <laughs> Look at verse 4, what Moses said. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. That's a pretty, uh, pretty intense conversation. Right? Verse 5. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Get a nice little four-step process here, right? The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Um, folks, we have to leave the pack behind us sometimes. You can't expect to travel in, in a big herd and actually have God move on your behalf. Sometimes you've got to walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders. Uh, Charlie and Joe came up this morning and prayed for folks. Anointed. When you have need, we are supposed to take, as Pastor Matt said during the worship time, bring it to the elders. Let them lay hands on you. Let them anoint you with oil so that you'll be healed. Amen? And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. Um, the concept there, in this part of the world especially, was that if you, if you had a staff with you, over the course of time, what happened on the staff was you would carve into it little memoirs of what happened, of conquests that happened, of lions that you defeated, of attacks that you survived, of God's provision in your life. So literally the staff became inscribed with your very history. When God says, take uh, with you some of the elders and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. Do you remember what God has done for you? Do you remember that? Do, can you look back and say, um, Riley's maybe not even supposed to be alive right now. And God has been miraculous with her. He's been miraculous. That when we get weak, we can have our staff and sometimes we just need to lean on. We can go back to the things that God has done in our life, the very tool that was in our hands that wrought miracles. The very thing that God used this righteous standard for struck the Nile. He's saying, "Take yeah, yeah, by the way, Take that staff. I guess in case he was going to get confused and pick up another staff. I'm going to remind you of what God has already done. So that when you're between a rock and a hard place, you can always go back and remember what the Lord has done for you. That same God who helped you yesterday is the same God who will get you through today and on into, on into tomorrow. And it says go. 
How many times do we get in trouble because we don't just get up and go? We don't actually move forward. We allow fear to paralyze us. One of the songs during our prayer time, as service begins and we have our prayer time, one of the songs talks about, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. How many times and how many places do we get caught up in fear about going forward? I'm not sure. Let me encourage you. Walk on ahead of the people. Set a pace that's different from the people around you. Encourage and get the elders. Get some leadership with you. Get some godly people around you. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, says in Hebrews, take in your hand the staff. Remember the standard of God's Word and the things that God has done. And go. Get up and move forward. Do not sit in your despair and in your anguish. Move forward. And look what the next verse says. I will stand there before, before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. In those difficult situations that are meant to crush you, strike that thing with the Word of God and watch God's water. Watch His life flow from those difficulties. Pastor Eric a few weeks ago talked about advantaged by adversity. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling. Because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? What they were saying by God, or, uh, uh, Moses, we need water, is that they were saying, hey, is the Lord really enough? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Y'all with me this morning? Yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and starting in verse 1. It says this, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud. Everybody say all. Forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses, in the cloud, and in the sea. That's an interesting trifecta there that we'll have to talk about some other time. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. When we're looking in, in Exodus 17, we're saying that it struck the rock. When Jesus Christ was struck the first time, what happened? Life flowed from Him. An incredible, an incredible example. Turn to James chapter 4. Pastor Matt was encouraging us from James throughout the worship time. In James chapter 4. Come on, folks. You've got to help me out. Say there when you're there. At least, at least be trying to get there. I don't know. Something. James chapter 4 and verse 1. <laughs> what causes fights and quarrels among you? So we see in the children of Israel, what were they doing? They were testing the Lord and they were quarreling against Moses. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Don't you just love the scripture? If you, get, if you, and, your, if you and your spouse get into it and have an argument, isn't it not because of your own desires that are battling within you most of the time it's not it has little to do with what my spouse is doing 
It's something that I'm dealing with that I then bless my wife with, right? I share that with my wife. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. <laughs> like children, right? We throw a temper tantrum. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Pretty simple, right? If any of you lack wisdom, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to ask. If any of us need anything, you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to ask. I was talking to a friend um, a few days ago, and we were talking about uh, going through difficult financial times. And it's diff- when it's difficult, you're not sure where money is going to come from. You're not sure where your provision is going to come from. You wrestle with these things. And I shared of a time in my life when we moved to Texas about five years ago. It was probably the worst financial time in our life. We were absolutely following what God told us to do, and we were absolutely not making enough money per month. We were absolutely walking in God's will and absolutely getting crushed financially. Yay! (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for your crushing me. And what I told him was that I just had to seek the Lord so much, I was like, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. We don't, like, this is not mathematically possible. My wife can get by on her good looks. This guy can't. Nobody, I've got, you've got to speak to us. And what that season did in us was put an implant in us that God, we have not because we didn't ask. Boy, I learned how to ask God for a lot of things. Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this. Would you please show me? Would you please? And it would be, I would literally be driving around town and the most, to me, the most random thought would come into mind. You need to change your insurance to this. I would do it and save our family a couple hundred bucks a month. And I'd pray. And we would, we got rid of cable. We got rid of everything we can get rid of. We were like trying to be as lean as possible. Okay, God, I I don't know how to do any more. And provision would come from somewhere else. We tried to buy a house while we were in Austin. And I literally told this to to the realtor. Um, the rental house that we were in was being sold. So we had to leave. I was like, well, let's just see if we can buy a house. We still had a house back in Louisiana. And so we were there and I told the realtor this. I said, hey, by the way, um, I would love for you to help us to find a house because you're a realtor and this is what you do. Um, I don't know how I would pay for a down payment. Uh, And I'm not sure if I have the money to do the closing either. So... If you don't want to help me, I understand. Like, I wouldn't help me either. I really wouldn't. I was like, well, look, you loser. What are you doing? And so, and she said, you know what? Well, I just finished every person that I'm working with. All accounts closed. She's like, I don't have anything else to do anyway. Let's see if I can help you. Right? Uh, on day two, my wife was, was looking around at the houses. On day two, we found the house that we ended up getting in. And, and I was like, okay, great. We found a house. I don't have the money to get for a down payment, and I don't know how we're going to close on the house. Hey, man, God, let's, let's see what you're going to do. There was a program that was being run on that house for whatever reason, and the down payment for a beautiful home was $100. As in a singular kind of bill that doesn't often end up in my pockets, right? 
a 100. And our realtor was like, she's like, oh, by the way, I'll pay that for you. <laughs> a down payment on a house for 100 I can't put a down payment on, a, on, on anything for $100 hardly. Yeah. We, we paid more than that when we, get, we just moved this past week. I paid more than that for our water deposit just to get the water turned on in our house. $100 for a house. I was like, Lord, um, thank you. That's incredible. You are miraculous. I still ain't got the money for, for the closing, so what you going to do now? And literally, God provided a check from an account when I used to work back in Baton Rouge. I don't know how they found my address in Texas. have no idea because it was addressed, not forwarded. It was addressed to my home address in Texas. I have no idea. Check. Here you go. <laughs> Sign that right over to the bank people. Amen. Bam. Sometimes we, want, we talk about wanting God to increase us, but the way he increases is he stretches us beyond what we're comfortable with. He stretches us far, far beyond what we're comfortable with, way outside of what we would like for it to be, but somewhere between the rock and the hard place is where we find increase in our lives. Amen? Back to James. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. When we talk about increasing, think about it in your own heart. You don't have to answer out loud. If someone came up to you and prophesied right now, hey, you're going to increase. This is going to be a year of increase for you, Kim. Year of increase. Well, amen. I like those prophecies, right? Oh, yeah, a side note. One of the best prophecies I ever got was change and turmoil, brother. You're going to get, everybody else is like getting rocking like these awesome prophecies. Yay, and you will reach the nations. You, Sutherland, you get change and turmoil. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that was really, I wrote it down. It's bad even when the guy giving the prophecy is like, ugh. Lord, let me encourage this brother. <laughs> you know, that in the middle of the prophecy was, was uh, sorry, man, that's all I got. <laughs> you know, total awesome man of God, about 75, incredible, incredible anointed pillar. And he was like, Egh. you know, I don't even know why I got off on that. I just thought I'd share it. That you may not spend what you get on your pleasures. Somewhere between the rock and the hard place is what gets these personal, um, when we hear of increase and we think that it's only a financial blessing for us. Why? Because we, why do you want the finances? Because it'll make your life easier. Isn't that the thought? If I had more money, then my life is easier, therefore my life is better. Why is that almost never the way we see it in Scripture? God says in Deuteronomy 8, look, when you do get everything you need to get, be careful that you don't forget the Lord. There's always a warning with the blessing. So perhaps when the Lord says He's going to increase you, it means that He's going to cause you to actually increase what you're capable of, what you understand, the people that you can reach. Why is that not my first thought when I hear increase? I'm like, cool, bonus check coming. Why? Because I want to go to the movies more. What? I like to take my wife out for... Yeah, well, amen. You think God wants to increase me for that only? How, Lord, I want to increase in your kingdom. 
I want you to expand the borders of my tent and the, the area of my territory. Lord, I want to increase in my harvest of righteousness. Lord, I want to increase like that. And if I can really do that, then don't you think he'll be pleased to give us whatever we need? Because we ask not, we receive because we ask with wrong motives. I know I've asked with wrong motives before. I may have even veiled it to myself. I may have even veiled it in what I was saying. But the truth is they had wrong motives. Verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Wow. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. Everybody say, more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Let's take a look at the increase, a kind of increase that God has for us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 beginning portion of the Sermon on the Mount here. Now when he saw the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on a hillside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a great sermon that Pastor Eric did in the last fall, and it walked through these Beatitudes. Incredible, incredible sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the kind of increase that God wants you to have. He wants us to understand we need to be poor in spirit. We need to have an understanding. Uh, let's put it this way. We need to have less of us and more of Him. Amen? Amen? When you are poor in spirit and say, you know, there's way too much of me in this process. Lord, I need... I, look, I lay it all down. The desire to increase because I think it's going to make it easier. You know what? I lay that down. Taking the easy way just because it's the easy way... If it doesn't please you, I'm going to lay that down. Lord, all I want to do is, uh, all I want to do is find out about you. And what, is, what begins to happen when our heart starts to change this way? Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You start reflecting a different type of nature. <laughs> when the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world collide, you know that collision point? You know where that is? It's usually right inside of us as believers, isn't it? There's a kingdom that I know that I want to be righteous and I want to stand. I want to be like a lion, bold, strong. You know what the kingdom of the world is? Is ah, oh, you're not enough. Boy, you're kind of weak, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. This, I want to stand and come boldly into the throne room, but this kingdom of the world is trying to remind me of all my faults. I want to step out and be bold in the kingdom of God. I want to do what's right and I have these other forces at work inside of me, this collision point right here that causes me to fight these things. When I'm poor in spirit, I begin the process of inheriting the kingdom of heaven. And when I become poor in spirit, then I can start to actually mourn about my actual state. Verse 5. I'm, I'm sorry, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn? Aren't we supposed to be... Doesn't God want us to be happy all the time? Blessed are those who have such a clear understanding because you've laid your life down. Those who mourn and say, Lord, God, there's still so much in me that is not pleasing to you. 
I want to get rid of all that. Lord, I'm, I, I weep. I weep over the sin in my life. I weep over these things, the weakness that I have. Why? Because the Holy Spirit Himself will come and comfort you. And if I've become poor in spirit and I'm mourning over my own condition, don't you think you'll be more meek? Next verse, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Don't you understand that it's not your strength that's going to do these things? Lord, I've yielded myself to you. Now I just want to walk in what you're calling me to walk in. And you'll, you'll allow me to inherit the earth. And when I'm these things, then I can be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. If you try to skip to being hungry and thirsty for righteousness, but you haven't been poor in spirit, you haven't mourned over your own sin, you haven't learned what meekness in the kingdom is like, you're not really hungry and thirsty for righteousness yet. Righteousness yet. You can't get to that point unless you go through these others. But the great part is, if we are hungry, He'll fill us. Amen? After you've done these things, after you've searched for, hung for righteousness, isn't it a lot easier to be merciful? <laughs> hey, brother, I remember I mourned over my own sin. I've had to learn meekness. I, I had to start the whole thing off with being poor in spirit. I'm just hungry for the Lord, brother. I'm going to be merciful towards you because I want you to inherit the same things that I'm inheriting now. You'll be merciful and you'll be shown mercy. <laughs> Once you're merciful and you start looking at your fellow man the way you're supposed to, it says that you become pure in heart. And with that pure heart, you can see God. And because we see God clearly, we can be peacemakers. We can have a righteous standard of what God said. Not peacekeepers, but peacemakers. We cause things to come into right order to the shalom that God has, an ordered stance between man and between God. And then it says in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted. <laughs> oh, we're back between the rock and the hard place, aren't we? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. At first I was thinking about these as a linear thing. Poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, all the way down, right? But when you look at the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for what? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The last one is, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's almost like this beautiful circle. The more I'm like God, the more I can treat my fellow man right, the more I can be used of Him, the more I reflect Him, the more people see Him, and therefore hate me and want to persecute me which keeps me poor in spirit which keeps me growing it keeps us moving in the right direction <laughs> what what does our society try to do we try to comfort people before they mourn don't we oh I don't want that guy to go through that difficulty uh, the parent who decides that they want to not let their child ever experience anything uncomfortable. Oh, well, let me get that. Well, let me get that. No, no, I'll do that, baby. Oh, don't worry about that. What happens is you raise a child who stays a child. You don't raise a future adult. You raise a little bitty baby. Maybe 25, maybe 35, maybe 55, and they're still just a little baby, baby expecting the whole world to just somehow come in. Sometimes we need to let there be some difficulty. I want to be a person who is always there to support people, who will run and encourage people, and I've learned not to run too fast. 
I've learned that I can run so fast that they don't ever mourn. They don't ever actually cry out to God and learn how to hear from God for themselves. So somewhere in there I have to be enough spirit-led that we go, you know what, if we know you're in the hospital, we're coming, we're coming and running. And it's our greatest desire to see you mature, to you be the, for you to be the body of Christ, for you to do the works of the Lord. My job as a pastor is to equip and train you to do the work. I will do the work because that will help train you and, and because I'm a part of the body, but the idea is that you're doing the work. This has been an interesting season. We've got pastors and elders who are out from our midst. <laughs> Some of the other pastors are up here on stage. This is a great time for all of us. You pray for each other. You be encouraged. You come with a word. This is the body of Christ. And we'll do everything in order, of course, but let's look to be the ones who are actually functioning, who are actually doing what the Lord is telling us to do. Let's turn back to Exodus chapter 17. Go back to Exodus. In verse 8. Exodus chapter 17 in verse 8, it says this, The Amalekites... One of the, one of the uh, Bible dictionaries that I use says the Amalekites, quote-unquote, people that licks up. People that consume everything. They were people who consumed every last drop. Uh, their old phrase, you drain something to the dregs. You get down all the way to the bottom where there's... Uh, something, residue, residual things down there. This was the Amalekites. They would drain you. I call them, uh, in a, usually don't say this in church, but uh, I, there are some people who I call vampire friends because they suck the life right out of you. <laughs> you, know, you know those people? You're like, oh my gosh, I, ah, after you get done. That's the Amalekites here. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Rephidim means a place of rest. We just had God provide water for this group of people. Immediately they get attacked. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Choose. Go down in this valley, Joshua. Choose some men. Pick some. Bashar is the word there. Appoint, choose, pick, select, and go and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill where the, with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Um, I was... Uh, my father-in-law is here, and, and my mom, and my mother-in-law, and uh, so they're helping us get into our new house. Yesterday, we were putting up ceiling fans. One of my favorite tasks, right? Right? Uh, if you've ever put in ceiling fans, you know, you're, you're taking things off, and apparently we don't have the right size ladder, because either I'm kind of down like this, or if I take one more step, I'm kind of like this, right? So you get down lower so you can do these things, and you're, you kind of got to balance things and hold things and connect wires. 
And so after a couple of doing a couple of ceiling fans, and you're just here for a while, you, your arms just get tired. You're just like, okay, hang on. Wait, I gotta, I gotta keep going here. After a while, I'm dropping screws all over the place. You know, I'm like, oh, this is difficult. Can you imagine Moses just standing there for a day? He's got the staff in his hand, right? <laughs> He's got the staff. How long can you hold something like this? Uh, uh, just kind of standing there. I'm, I'm good. No, I'm good. Ten minutes, 30 minutes, because there's a battle going down in the field. Whew, I'm getting a little tired, and the enemy starts winning. <laughs> right? After a while, you get the quake. Get the muscle quake because it can't handle it. So what happens? Verse 12, when Moses' hand grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Hmm. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. Okay, so let's, let's get to the obvious point of this. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone. They took a rock. They took something for him to reposition and to recenter his life. When we get tired, when our arms get weary, it is important for us to go and reestablish ourselves on the rock that is Christ. Amen? We reestablish ourselves on his word, and then he had people around him. He had Aaron and her that literally held his hands up. So if I was going to do this, and that just, I mean, think about it. They sat him down. Right? Isn't that smart? Why? Because then the people around me can help. Be kind of silly for us if I'm holding this and somebody comes stand beside me and do it. Well, that'll be good, but we'll all get tired here in a second. Hey, Moses, sit down. Let's sit you on the rock. You know what? Because we could just prop up against you. We can help you. It's not a strain on us, but we're helping you. Hey, um, Spencer, let us help you pray for Riley. Eliana. Dee Dee. Us, Susan, all these people. Hey, let us help you. Let us prop up your arms for you so that there can be victory. This word here, when you get to, so that his hands remain steady until sunset. The word steady is uh, in the Hebrew, it's number 530 in the Strong's. The word is muna. It's the same word that's translated as truth and faithfulness. When you read through the book of Psalms and you hear that great is, great is God's faithfulness, you're seeing all these things. It's this word that says steady. He remained true and steady for the entire day. For as long as was needed, as long until the battle was won. So Joshua, verse 13, overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Amen to that. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. <laughs> and make sure that Joshua hears it. Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. You know why? I don't know that he knew what was going on. If he's the one that's down in the valley battling, Moses is up here somewhere, sits on a rock. Joshua's out there slinging his sword, man. He's out there at it. What a, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Can I encourage you guys? Uh, there are things that are happening and they're going on in the spiritual realm around us and sometimes we don't even realize that it's going on. When you feel a burden to pray for somebody, pray for them. 
Because it may have to come back to them later that make sure they hear about it, but in that moment they need to win the victory. They need to win the battle. If we're not standing for each other, if we're not standing with each other, if we're not um, overcoming our own desire to only focus on our own life and know that there's an actual battle, there's actually spiritual things going on. One of the people that I went and visited this week, um, when I was there in the hospital uh, waiting room with them, hanging out with the family, I had the distinct feeling that a lot of what was going on was completely based on spiritual things. They were manifesting in a very, very physical realm. An actual person in an actual hospital needing actual doctors to do actual, actual surgery. But there were so many other things that were going on. There were so many other things going on. Why in the world did it matter whether Moses' arms were up or not? Because there was more than just a physical battle happening. <laughs> there was more. Somewhere between the rock and the hard place here, there's more that's going on in our lives. There's more that God is trying to work in us. Um, verse 14 again. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. One of the Bible, uh, several of the Bible uh, commentaries that I was reading through said that there has not ever been a piece of evidence found, at least to the writing of that book, about the Amalekites. Not been a pottery shard. There's not been a chariot wheel. There's not been a sword with an inscription. There's not been anything found. It's almost like God kept His word or something. Verse 15, Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. Um, <laughs> the words there are Yahweh Ness. If you grew up in, um, in the type of churches that I did, it was Jehovah Nisi. All right, maybe a little bit more familiar to us. God is the standard. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my sign. The Lord is someone that I can rally behind. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Um, just a couple of more scriptures here. Turn to James chapter 4 again. James chapter 4. In verse 7. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What does the Bible say about the double-minded? They are unstable in all their ways. If you face instability, if you are unstable in your life, perhaps you should look at it as a sign that you might be double-minded. It's amazing how sometimes we miss those kind of inferences from the scripture. If a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways and we are unstable in areas of our life, allow God to eliminate the double-mindedness from you. Verse 9, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Isn't that an interesting passage? In other words, it's saying... Not that joy is against what God has, but he's saying, um, would you make sure that you're poor in spirit? 
Would you make sure that you're not being frivolous in your own walk, only looking for easy things and missing? Change your heart here. Draw near to God. Let that be a closeness that is brought before you. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. It's saying get it in the right order here. Turn to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. Verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. I don't know if in your Bible it has this. My Bible has a little footnote there on the word prisoners. So it says, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And my Bible has a little word uh, down at the bottom. It says, a release from darkness for the blind. <laughs> kind of redundant if you read it the other way, right? He proclaims freedom for the captives and the release from darkness for the blind. Those who can't see, those who were once in great darkness, God would shine a brilliant light on them. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Think about that. That's a, this is exactly what God wants to do for us. Provide those who grieve in Zion. <laughs> he says, hey, I want you to grieve. Why? So that He can come in and comfort you. I want you to mourn over where you are so that you can be comforted. I want you to be meek. So that, I want you to be hungry so that I can fill you. I want, this is God is telling us what we should be. And it's amazing that this passage, I remember this was a passage that I shared. Uh, Mom, do you remember how old I was? Was I eight, nine in scripture, or in, in a church that we were at? And I remember I was young. I don't, I'll have to ask, I should have asked my mom this beforehand. Um, it was a Mother's Day. And they asked, do you want to share a scripture? And I remember, this was a long time ago, if we're talking single digits, right? I remember sharing this verse as a young person. Maybe I was 10, I don't know. Okay, we'll go with nine. Mom says it was nine, so it was nine. And this was the passage. It's, it's, it's been beautiful to me from, from that moment on. Provide those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. Everybody say oaks. There's something firm. There's something incredibly majestic. A planting of the Lord why? For the display of His splendor. The idea is not that we are double-minded, not that we are unstable, but that we are literally called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. What I really wanted to get to just in closing here is this. If you feel like you're walking around in ashes, then I want to encourage you that the Lord has a crown of beauty for you. If you feel like... <laughs> You're mourning, not just over your sin, but there's a, a, a let's call it what it is in our, in our vernacular. Is there a depression that sits upon you? 
Are there are these things that weigh on you? And God says, I don't want that to be you. I want you to have an oil of gladness. I want there to be a joy that washes over you. Instead of a spirit of despair, a garment of praise. I just want to encourage us today. Um, it, it seems that part of what we've been doing and what we've been saying and what you heard during worship time over the past several weeks has been, let's get up and go. Let's not be, let's not have our, our heads hanging down. Let's be full of joy. Folks, we need to be a, a, a group of people that is just absolutely full of joy. Not a silliness, not a giddiness, but a joy that comes from saying, Lord, you give me these things. This is what you want to exchange in me. I don't have to be heavy and burdened and downtrodden. I need to be joyful. Why? Because this is what happens. When we get to those difficult places, God, you can cause the water to flow from the most difficult thing that ever. From those things that feel like they want to crush me, that's where the life can come from. This is the place that we can find that we go to Him with a staff and we see that water flow. We see we have someone else who can stand with us to hold up our arms. Amen? The last passage of scripture I'm just going to reference and Pastor Matt you're, you're welcome to come on up it's out of Numbers chapter 21 Numbers chapter 21 and it talks about there's this incredible example of children of Israel once again in trouble <laughs> they're getting judged by snakes in the camp God literally causes them to do a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole in the middle of the camp. By the way, that's the same word, standard. When it says, the Lord is my banner, that's standard, that's the same word that's actually said here in Numbers 21. And the idea was that anyone looked to it, they would be healed from what was going on. Which is kind of a weird thought. When you, uh, on the back of, again, I've been in a lot of hospitals this week, on the back of some ambulances... There's a single pole and a snake that wraps around. There's actually another version that has two pole or a pole with two snakes. That one's actually referencing back to a Greek idea and a Greek god that they had. You'll see some with two and some with one. The one with one is actually referencing back all the way to this, really, in the book of Numbers. A bronze serpent. Serpent always represents sin in the Bible. Bronze is a, an idea of judgment. <laughs> Make a snake and put it on the pole. Anyone who is bitten can look to, it, look to it and live. Whatever that ails you in your life, what happens? When that bronze serpent, the sin, <laughs> the one who became sin for us, bronze, the judgment, the one who became sin and took the judgment upon himself, when he's lifted up high, we look to him and can be saved. We look to him and can live. Let me encourage you guys today. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know where it is in your life. Perhaps we should be like Isaiah 61 and get a great exchange today. We can exchange those things that are weighing us down and literally just look to the one who can save us and live. And watch those sicknesses fall off of us. Watch that depression, despair, ashes all fall off and be exchanged for what God has for us. Amen?
Let's stand to our feet.